You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I cannot control how they're going to respond. Neither can you. But I'm still called to lovingly, out of heart of compassion, to confront them. You know what some things are that will prevent us from loving confrontation? By the way, didn't share this last night, but it just hits me right now. One of the reasons people won't become relational in a church body, (laughs) they don't want people to know about their lives. They don't want people to know. Here's the first thing fear. Confrontation can be hard, but oftentimes it's necessary for progress and growth. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you the important truth that confrontation can be healthy and good within your relationships. Having an honest conversation with those that you love helps establish boundaries and healing. Pastor Danny encourages you to not fear confrontation, but to welcome it with a healthy perspective. Always be sure to speak your confrontation with truth and love. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of James, chapter 5, with today's edition of The Living Word. Well, we wrap it up uh, in James today, unless the rapture takes place, and that would be absolutely fine with me. Uh, Verse 19, my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Another fairly difficult passage, but I'm going to give it my best shot to what God's saying to us here. The Bible is very clear that God has called us as Christians to, if you will, confront the world, confront unbelievers in a very compassionate and loving way. That's the, that's the intention anyway. Sometimes we don't do it that way, but we should. Uh, in the hope that they would confess their sin, repent, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that they might be saved. That's called the Great Commission. Uh, we're all called to that, if you're a Christian, that as we have opportunity, we share Christ with people so that they might repent of sin, receive Christ as Savior. That's very clear. As a matter of fact, let me just read you. You don't have to turn there because I'm just going to read it, but it's Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. And here's what the Lord said to Ezekiel, and this is our call as well. Verse 17, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. That's sobering. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. 
says the same thing again in Ezekiel 33, verses 7 through 9. Paul the Apostle made this statement. You find it in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. That's an amazing thing to be able to say as a Christian. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So Paul's saying every time I had an opportunity, I shared truth. Truth. Not just Christ, but truth. Now, while the above is true, what I just said is true. We're all called to the Great Commission. I believe James chapter 5, these last couple of verses, deals primarily with Christians confronting Christians or at least professing Christians. You'll see what I mean there because I hope you understand some people profess, but they do not possess. Some people profess, but they don't possess. They've never really been born again. There are two overall things to look for for evidence of a person's need to be confronted. And I'm going to say several times probably throughout the message that the confrontation is intended to be compassionate, loving, and that's the motive behind it. If you really care for someone, if I really care for someone, I'm going to lovingly confront them. It's not a self-righteous thing. Not supposed to be. The first evidence is in the text, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone bring him back. So the evidence is wandering from the truth. John 17, verse 17, Jesus said, uh, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So this book is truth. All right? So they wandered from the word of God, the principles, the path outlined in the word of God. They've wandered from the truth. It could be they've wandered from the truth of the gospel. Or it could be simply they still believe the gospel, but they've wandered from the standards and the path that this book has laid down for the Christian. Psalm 119, 105, uh, the psalmist wrote, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And to, to me, years ago, God gave me the illustration, or for my life anyway, and I think it applies to anybody, the lamp unto my feet, that's for daily living, and the light unto my path, that's looking toward eternity. So I'm living daily. I want to walk according to his word, and I'm headed for eternity. And I'm, that's what I've got my sights on. And his word is guiding me in that. So first thing you look for, have they wandered from the truth, the truth of the word as outlined here. The second evidence you look for in someone's life that they need to be confronted lovingly is found in the text as well. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way. That says a lot. Those two words, his way or her way, their way, it means simply their lifestyle, their pattern of living, their own path. Now they're not going to submit to this. They're just going to do their own thing. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> so wander from the truth of the word and go your own way. Now the covering of the multitude of sins. What is that? Well, David, when confronted by Nathan the prophet, you, you find specifically this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David thinks he's going to die because the punishment under the law, the Old Testament law, for David's sin of adultery and murder, he should have died. And when Nathan the prophet confronts him and now his sin is exposed, all right, 
Nathan the prophet says this to him, and this is what, this is what you want to hear. I mean, this is what you want to hear. You're not going to die. God has taken away your sin. That's what Nathan the prophet said to David. God has taken away your sin. That's called grace. That's called mercy. David writes a couple of songs uh, at this point in his life, psalms. The first is Psalm 51. And let me just read you a section of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Surely I was sinful at birth, verse 5, from the time my mother conceived me. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. God answered that prayer. Psalm 32, let me just read you the first couple. I think he wrote Psalm 51 before he wrote Psalm 32 because here's how Psalm 32 opens. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. What an amazing thing. What a gracious God. I'm glad I serve the God I serve. He's the only true God. But he's so compassionate. He's so loving. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. If we'll confess, he's willing to forgive. So the sins that would be covered the multitude of sins. I think, especially in dealing with Christian to Christian confrontation, the sins that would have continued in David's life uh, if he had not been confronted and, and those sins that he had committed before he repented. Are you with me? So in other words, if they repent, if they listen, then their pattern of sin is ended. Okay. And also the sins they had committed are covered. Now don't misunderstand. David was saved, and if he had died before he repented, no question, biblically, he would have still gone to heaven. Are you with me? The Holy Spirit, you know, if you have the Holy Spirit, uh, you're not going to lose your salvation. But <laughs> you have a lot more pain in your life and a lot more to deal with at the judgment seat of Christ. What is the death the person is saved from? Well, if they're not truly saved, we know it's death and damnation. If they're not truly saved, they're just professing, but not possessing. But now again, Christian, you're truly a Christian. It's spiritual death. Save a soul from death. First Timothy five, six, and just listen, I'm throwing out a lot of verses. I got some PowerPoint later on, but hang with me. First Timothy five, six, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. So you go back to that unspiritual path. That's the idea. And that's unspiritual is, is death. Ephesians 2, 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And that's what this person's doing, who's wandered from the truth and going their own way. They're going back to the old path, what they're doing. Now, one other thing, the death can be, you save a soul from, save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. For the Christian, it can be physical death. Listen, turn over to the right, if you're there in James, to 1 John chapter 5. I want you to see this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. Look at it. I'll read it. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Very interesting. There is a sin that leads to death. 
I'm not saying that he should pray about that. What does that mean? It means they're going to do you no good to pray about it because God's already determined. They're not going to repent, and I'm just going to end it and take them home. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. 1 Corinthians 11.30, what did Paul write there to the Corinthian church? Some of you are weak and sick, and some of you have fallen asleep. I have known people as a pastor over 30 years of ministry that if that I believe, I believe, now I'm not God, all right, but I believe I have known people in this fellowship that have been a part of this fellowship that have died prematurely because they've wandered and God has taken them to the woodshed and over years God has tried to deal with them so that they might repent and they refuse to repent and all of a sudden you get the phone call. Did you hear about so-and-so? And usually it's something tragic. It's awful quiet in here. I'm assuming because we're listening. <laughs> we should. Ananias and Sapphira, remember Acts chapter 5? People were being led of the Spirit in the early church there to sell a piece of property or sell a house that they didn't really need and bring the money and lay it at the apostles' feet. And it says the apostles would distribute it as the Lord led them. Ananias and Sapphira sold a field. They brought the money, but before this, between the sale and bringing the money to the apostles, they kept back a portion. And God gave Peter a word of knowledge, a supernatural word of knowledge about Ananias and Sapphira's sin. And so they come in one at a time, and Peter says to them one at a time, is this the amount you sold the land for? And each one of them lied, and as soon as they lied, God took them. And it says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, do you realize the potential for any one of us to wander from the truth, including me? Any one of us have the potential to wander from the truth and go our own way. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now, pretend you're my kids, and let me tell you some quick Bible stories. The book of Genesis, the Lord confronted Cain about his unwillingness to do what was right, but instead of repenting, he went and murdered his brother, Abel, and as a result became a wandering fugitive. Balaam was a man who was confronted <laughs> by his own donkey, by his jackass. And it's like someone said, God confronted Balaam with a jackass, and he's confronted many over the years with other jackasses. <laughs> Some of you might consider being confronted today by one. That's your prerogative. And if you know the story, I, I can't ever go through that story without smiling because it's so humorous. God allows the donkey to speak in a person's voice. And talk to Balaam. And, the, and the, the most amazing thing there, every time I go through it, is not the donkey speaking, but Balaam having a conversation back and forth with the donkey. <laughs> God confronted Balaam through his donkey. But if you read the whole story, even though he confessed sin, he never repented. Never repented. And Joshua 13.22 tells us that he was killed when the Israelites came in to take possession of the promised land. Because he never really repented. 
Moses confronted Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 council members. They were like Moses' board members confronted them. They refused to listen, and God opened up the earth, and it swallowed all of them and their families. Joshua confronted Achan, who took some of the devoted things in Jericho, hid him in his tent. And rather than Achan coming clean, when the call went out, there's sin in the camp, tried to win the lottery against God. And he was destroyed, and his whole family went down with him too. King Saul. King Saul started out as a humble man and a humble king. But David, when he became a, well, he became famous overnight after slaying Goliath. That was the beginning of King Saul's demise. And he was envious. He became embittered, and he ended up hating David. Samuel confronted Saul. And if you read the narrative, Saul makes one excuse after another, one excuse after another. And finally, when he's backed against the wall, he says, I have sinned, but he never repented. He ended up dying on the battlefield and he took his sons down with him. Elisha, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, you might say his associate pastor, his name was Gehazi, his servant, Gehazi. Naaman the Syrian comes and God heals Naaman the Syrian of leprosy through Elisha's ministry. Naaman had brought a a bunch of loot, a bunch of stuff to to pay the prophet if he got healed. Naaman, you know, at first was proud, but then his men encouraged him. He goes down to the Jordan. He dips seven times. He comes up. He's healed. He goes back to Elisha, and he offers offers him the riches that he brought. He's going to pay him. Elisha says, no, I'm not in it for that. Naaman's list, uh, Gehazi's listening to this whole thing. And when Naaman goes to leave, Gehazi follows him and he catches up with him. And Naaman uh, says, hey, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, everything's fine. But right after you left, some guys showed up from the school of the prophets, you know, Christian college kids. You got anything to help them? And Naaman's like, well, absolutely. And he takes his stuff and he gives it to Gehazi. Gehazi goes and hides it in his tent and then goes back to serve Elisha. And just like Peter, God revealed to Peter about Ananias and Sapphira, God revealed to Elisha about Gehazi. And Gehazi gets back, and Elisha says, where you've been? So I didn't go anywhere. The leprosy that Naaman was healed of will cling to you. And he became a leper for the rest of his life. Eighty courageous priests confronted King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles chapter 26. King Uzziah also started out humble, but it says when he became successful after years as king, his pride led to his downfall, and he wandered from the path. Eighty courageous priests go and confront him. He's going into the temple, Uzziah is, to offer incense, which is only reserved for the priest to do. So he's not walking in truth. Eighty courageous priests confront him, but he gets in a rage. He rages at him, and while he's raging at him, leprosy breaks out on his head. And it says they led him out, and he was anxious to get out. And he lived the rest of his life in seclusion and died a dishonorable death and had a dishonorable burial. You read about the prophets one after another. The majority of them, I, I don't want the ministry of a prophet. If you give me a ministry of a prophet, get me Haggai. I'll be Haggai. If you read that little two-chapter book, Haggai, Haggai goes and he says what the Lord says for him to say, and everybody repents. 
Well, that's, that's not typical of the prophets. I was just reading in my devotions this week, uh, a prophet named Hanini, who had a son who was also a prophet I was reading this morning in my devotions about. But Hanini confronted Asa, King Asa. Asa also started out good, but he wandered from the path. And when he was confronted by the prophet Hanini, you know what he did? Asa threw Hanini in prison. Jeremiah was put in prison on another occasion. The king gave permission for his officials to do whatever they wanted to with Jeremiah, so they threw him in a cistern. Didn't have any water in it, but it was wet, it was muddy, and he sank down in the mud, and they left him there to die. God providentially got him out, but that's what they did to him. Jesus said they killed Zechariah. Guess where they killed Zechariah, the prophet? Between the altar and the sanctuary. They killed him at church. The last prophet of the Old Testament, John the Baptist. Luke chapter 3, verse 19. When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, who he was having an adulterous relationship with, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Last prophet of the Old Testament and one that introduced us to the initiator of the new covenant, Jesus the Christ. Ultimately, he had his head cut off. He lost his head for the Lord, literally. Now, I could give you more stories, but that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. And here's what just that sampling of stories in the Bible tells us. Here's what it tells us. Listen carefully. The majority of people recorded in this book who were confronted in their sin were not willing to repent. They were not willing. And they suffered the consequences. You do have a few. Nathan confronted David, and thank God David repented. Remember Ahab? Ahab, one of the most wicked kings, one of the most wicked kings in biblical history. But near the end of his life, he repented. And God said, see how he's humbled himself, so I'm not going to bring on him the judgment that I had planned. Just because he humbled himself and repented. Now here's the deal. Listen up. A person's unwillingness to repent doesn't lessen my responsibility to confront them. Or yours, ours. Do you hear that? I'm not responsible for how they respond. That's not my responsibility. I can't control that. I cannot control how they're going to respond. Neither can you. But I'm still called to lovingly, out of heart of compassion, to confront them. You know what some things are that will prevent us from loving confrontation? By the way, didn't share this last night, but it just hits me right now. One of the reasons people won't become re relational in a church body, <laughs> they don't want people to know about their lives. They don't want people to know. Here's the first thing, fear. I mean, just those stories I, I went through very quickly. What, what will they do to me? What will they think of me? Fear. How are they going to respond when I confront them? Past personal failure. I think this may be. Maybe one of the reasons that David did not respond correctly to his two sons, Amnon and Absalom. Remember, Amnon raped his half-sister, Tamar, Absalom's full sister, and Absalom then conspired and carried out a plot, and he murdered his brother, Amnon. David was guilty of both those sins adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and then having Uriah the Hittite, her husband killed so he could have the woman. 
Don't let past personal failure keep you from dealing with your children correctly. And don't let past personal failure cause you to not to confront another Christian who's wandered from the truth and going their own way. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time to learn more from the book of James today. If you're looking for a New Testament book that's a lot like Proverbs, then James is your book. There's so many practical applications to take away from what's written. So what are some of the things that struck a chord with you today? And how do you intend to apply those to your daily life? If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings from this series in James, then feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the resources tab. That website once again is ccfstpete.church. If you don't have a church to call home yet, we would love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. Our mission as a church is teaching the word, reaching the world. We trust that this radio program is an integral part of that mission. As listeners are hearing these messages both near and far, our time for today is up, but we can't wait for you to join us again for our next edition. Pastor Danny will continue teaching through the New Testament book of James, Next time, here on The Living Word. The power of the living word. The power of the living word.